This year, as the year started, I, I commit myself to reading through, actually technically listening through the one-year Bible. And so when you get toward the end of February, you find yourself leaping through Leviticus. And as you're going through Leviticus, you're learning about all these laws. And this week, my primary listening was on moles, body moles, mm. and mold. Moles and mold. And as I'm listening to this, every one of them was, now if you have a mole that's growing a white hair, it's got a little ooze, go to the priest. Have him look at it. And I'm just thinking, thank God that's not on my job description. <laughs> oh, my word. If I had to look at your moles and mold, I would just like... I, <laughs> it was fascinating. And, and part of the reason I raised this is because in between services, we're having like all these wonderful tech glitches. We've had a problem with the computer in the, in the kinder room that it likes to every once in a while just go connect to a different universe. And today, the first name tag printed in the first service and no other name tags printed. So we were trying to figure out the moles and mold in between services. And now I have to remember, oh yeah, there's a second service. Here we are. All right, let's go. So um, what, a, what an incredible week. If you've been, if you've been part of either the rooted reading, coming and enjoying our time together on Sunday morning, or you've been part of a rooted group, the reports I'm hearing back from groups have just been, it's been incredible. The connection that's going on but the learning that's going on. We're really diving into some great stuff. We spent a lot of time this past week looking at prayer and how prayer works in the life of, of, of a believer. And this week, we're, we're spending time focusing on pain and suffering. So that's, that's going to be a, an interesting deep dive as we go there. Before we do, though, you got your weekend update yesterday. And the first major announcement is... Green Lake. Green Lake. Yeah, very, very cool. Uh, we have 45 students signed up to go already. I've had two more sign up late last night. I'm sure after looking at the, uh, the weekend update, the reason that we bring this up right now is that midnight tonight... Tomorrow. Or I'm sorry, midnight tomorrow, midnight Monday, whatever. Um, In honor of the, Bob's birthday. Come. That's right. Yes. The rates go up. So we have this early, early bird... Uh, pricing and the, the other benefit to that, the earlier you sign up, like if you know you're coming with us uh, as a junior higher or high schooler from June 5th to June 10th uh, to Green Lake, the earlier you sign up, the more time you have to pay. So if you need that extra time, if you need to do chunk payments, you can. But the later that we get, that option's not available. So if you know you're going, get signed up today. Because yeah. uh, again, and, there's and nothing... And you said we're already mid-40s on the sign-up, which yeah, is yeah. phenomenal this early. Right. That's great. It is really, very, really very great. cool. Yeah, really excited. And Bob has told me that the only thing he wants for his birthday is to get to 100 sign-ups by, uh, by Tuesday morning. <laughs> right, Bob? The, the, the only <laughs> The only thing. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. I'd love it. I would love it. So um, the other thing that was in that update is that a lot of you, you know, you shop through Amazon, and every once in a while you see this little thing pop up talking about Amazon Smile, which is their way of giving a donation to an organization. That's yeah, not ours, just the smile in the box. Right. Ours is on there. So, mm -hmm. you know, you can sign in, look for Southfield Church. What will happen when you do is you'll find a lot of things in Southfield, Michigan. We are not in Southfield, Michigan, but if you keep scrolling down, I think five or six down, you see this little old church in Shanahan, and you can click that. And you mentioned the first service, bookmark it. Yeah, if you just take the link that's in, in the weekend update and you drag that to a bookmark, every time that you open up Amazon from that link, it will give, a, what is it, a, a half of a percent mm -hmm. of the proceeds uh, here to Southfield, which is really cool. If you're using Amazon, 
uh, that you know, just an opportunity to to support uh, to support us. Uh, if you already have an organization that you're supporting, obviously you continue to do that. Yeah. But we just want you to know that that opportunity is is available and that we're out there. So what, where I want to focus right now is we're, we're very quickly moving off announcements, and I want to spend a little bit of time talking about. Uh, talking about last week's teaching, because last week we spent time doing the prayer experience, and because of that, we didn't spend a lot of time talking about prayer. We prayed. But um, there were some really fascinating things in last week's teaching. One, it spent a whole day just talking about the role of the Holy Spirit, which most people would acknowledge in evangelical circles. We might call him the forgotten God. Mm -hmm. We're very acquainted with the Father. We're very acquainted with the Son. But we get really kind of tangled on the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit all about? And ironically, the Holy Spirit is the expression of God in the church age with which God the Father and Son want us to engage. He gave us the Spirit after the Son left. So um, it talked about the idea of being indwelled by the Spirit when we become believers and then being filled with the Spirit all the time. Indwelling is always there. Holy Spirit doesn't get taken away, put back in. Once you're a believer, it's there. But the filling rises and diminishes. It's like a gas tank in a vehicle. The yeah, gas according tank's to stay there. So you as you filling. read that, yeah. what, what was your understanding of how filling happens or diminishes? Well, for me, filling happens intentionally. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's obviously something that God gives us, but if I'm not being intentional in seeking being filled, then that... The, filling doesn't feel fulfilling. Mm. Um, so I, I had a conversation. We did a, we did a series about a year ago. I'm, my timelines are all way, out of whack. It doesn't matter. Uh, but I did a series called Busy is the New Lazy with the high schoolers. Mm. And basically tearing down all the excuses that we make as, as people um, to, you know, oh, I'm too busy to do this. I don't have enough time to do that. And we rephrased the way that... that we said that, and instead of saying, I'm too busy, or I don't have enough time, we said, this thing that I'm putting off, whether that's prayer, whether that's Bible reading, whatever, it is not my priority right now, mm. or I have not prioritized mm. it right mm -hmm. now. Not to, like, give this ultimate, you know, guilt fest, you know, guilt and shame, but to, to truly acknowledge, what am I, what's my role here? My role, if I want to be filled by the Spirit, I have to intentionally seek the Spirit. I have to intentionally talk to, um, talk to God. So it, it, there's, a, there's, I think, an active role and a passive role, so to speak. The Bible talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. When I grieve the Holy Spirit, I've, 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 I've sinned, and I'm choosing to intentionally live in that sin. I'm choosing to not repent of that sin. And there comes a point with the Spirit. The Spirit just ceases contending with us. He says, you want to live there? You want to see how that works out? Go nuts. And, and he's looking for us to spend time in confession, confess that sin. But then in, in Thessalonians, Paul talks about quenching the Spirit. Quenching the Spirit is like taking a big old bucket and dousing him, dousing the Spirit's flame. And that comes when God has commanded us to do something, to take some action. And we've said, no, I don't want to. Mm -hmm. So there's like intentional sin, and then there's omission, those times that we choose not to do something that we're supposed to. And both of those, grieving and quenching, leads to a lessening of the power of the Spirit, which is part of the reason daily confession, daily repentance is so important. And that's where we'll be going next week, where we'll be talking about strongholds, but we'll be talking about that just daily being in the presence of God, repenting of our sins. We want to keep short accounts with God. We want to keep confessed, full up. 
And the other thing they did is they talked about this great acronym, the PRAY acronym. So if you're looking for an outline for prayer, uh, the, the P stood for, quiz question? Praise. Praise. So we're praising God. And praise has a way of reminding us, we're in the presence of God, has a, remind, a way of reminding us who God is, and, and it really has a way of quieting our hearts. And that's why the model was built mm-hmm. by, by start, the model for prayer that we're given in the Bible in Matthew. It starts with praise. Uh, because the, the next is, is repent. Mm-hmm. And so you're acknowledging first, you're praising God for who he is and who we're repenting to, that he has the power because he has conquered sin to, um, to give us that, that clean slate, and he's the only one who can. So you start with praise and then move on to that. And daily repent. repentance is important. Mm-hmm. Daily come into the presence of God and saying, Spirit, reveal to me a way in which I have either by action or thought, whatever, offended you, and bring that to my mind so that I can confess it. A is ask. I think that's where most of us live in prayer. Just, you know, shoot the request to God. And then the why, they, they called why yield. Tell me, tell me your thoughts on yield, the why of yield. I hate yield. <laughs> I hate yield. Uh, I am active, moving, uh, nonstop. Like, I, you know, I admittedly uh, pack my schedule too full sometimes. Um, because I, I just, I love being with people. I love doing things. And so stopping is hard for me. I'm, I'm like the puppy that is looking out the window at everybody else having fun. And for me, yielding, uh, yielding is really challenging. So this week, um, I've just chose to, to take some time in my schedule as I have a, a little break in my day, um, to, to, totally focus on, on that piece of it, on that, um, that level. So praying, reading, doing my work, but then stopping and waiting for God to respond um, to my prayers, seeing how God works in my life. And, you know, you mentioned in the, in the first service, this isn't like, I, you know, I'm sitting here, God, okay, you have 20 minutes to answer before kids walk into my room again. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not putting God on a timeline, but I am seeking his answers and his movement. And this week I got some really tough news, um, some just really challenging things that, that I personally was struggling with that I did not like. Um, and it was hard too because the other people who got news based off of that, they were all really excited, really happy for, for changes that were happening. And I was pretty much, I was one out of about 10 that saw it as, well, this is going to be really, really hard for, for me. Because I had already been in that practice of, of yielding, of stopping and listening, I had created what you, um, what you spoke of in the first service, of a posture of yielding. Mm-hmm. So I had, again, God works in amazing ways, right? So I had already, for three days, spent this time just being quiet and waiting for, for answers. And instead of getting maybe the, the things that I want, mm-hmm. God kept driving this idea home. Don't think about you. Stop being selfish. And, but when I got this news, I was. I was incredibly selfish. And then the next day, revisiting that, that time of prayer and saying, God, what the heck? His, his answer was the same. Don't think of you. Don't think of how this is impacting you. Don't think, think of how this is going to grow you, how this is going to change you, how you have the opportunity to change others. Um, so, yeah, sorry, long-winded. Uh, no, that's fantastic. I, I think that when we read that P-R-A-Y, yield, on a surface level, we might think of it something like this. Um, God, I've praised you. 
I've repented. I've asked you for things. Now, you have five minutes to talk to me. <laughs> kind of a, you know, talk on demand, God. I've done my part. Where are you? We put in the quarter. We pull the lever. We expect, boom, here's my answer. Mm. And, and really what it comes down to, that yield time is not as much about in the next five minutes I'm going to squeeze an answer out of God. It's about a practice of yieldedness that leads to a posture of yieldedness. So as I, whatever I practice, you know, <laughs> the way you practice a swing, whatever it might be, the thing that I practice is the thing, that's the posture I will ultimately take. So now it's not just that we've yielded for five minutes and now we can stop yielding, but we take a posture of yielding into the day. We're thinking with a yielded spirit throughout the day. We're actually, as things come at us, we're starting to recognize that might not just be an event or, or whatever. That might actually be God directing me, guiding me. And so I'm, I'm taking yielded with me. The, pa- the practice leads to a posture. And God wants us to walk in a constant yielded posture. So today we're going to move on to the, the question, where is God in the midst of suffering? Nice and easy. Awesome. We, can, we can handle that one in 20 minutes or less. So um, what we're going to do is look at a psalm that I think is a beautiful expression of the heart cry of the writer. And, and what I love about this particular lament that this, that this uh, author offers up to God in inspired scripture, this isn't just a, an added appendix, in inspired scripture, this guy just complains and there is no positive conclusion. In fact, when you read the conclusion, you're like, really? That's where you're going to end with this? So I'd love for you to go ahead and read uh, Psalm 88 to us. Mm-hmm. It's not clicking, Michelle. Thank you. The moles, right? Yeah, right. Here we go again. <laughs> oh, Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out to you by day. I come to you at night. Now hear my prayer, listen to my cry. For my life is full of troubles and death draws near. I'm as good as dead, like a strong man with no strength left. They've left me among the dead and I lie like a corpse in the grave. I'm forgotten, cut off from your care. You've thrown me into the lowest pit, into the darkest depths. Your anger weighs me down with wave after wave you have engulfed me. And then comes that word in this particular translation, interlude. It's the Hebrew word selah. Selah literally meant think about it. Which when it's talking about truths about God, you're like, yeah, I want to think about that. But he's saying, let's spend some time brooding on my pain. Let's spend some time just being quiet in the presence of God with my pain. So we've selahed, we've interluded, we've thought about it, and we move on. You've driven my friends away by making me repulsive to them. I'm in a trap with no way of escape. My eyes are blinded by my tears. Each day I beg for your help, O Lord. I lift my hands to you for mercy. Are your wonderful deeds of any use to the dead? Do the dead rise up and praise you? Stop, reflect, and think about it. And again, this is not a place most of us want to stop and reflect. I'm miserable. My eyes are blinded by tears. Stop and think about it. Okay. Can those in the grave declare your unfailing love? Can they proclaim your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Can the darkness speak of your wonderful deeds? Can anyone in the land of forgotten or forgetfulness talk about your righteousness? Oh, Lord, I cry out to you. 
I will keep on pleading day by day. Oh, Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you turn your face from me? I've been sick and close to death since my youth. I stand helpless and desperate before your terrors. Your fierce anger has overwhelmed me, and your terrors have paralyzed me. They swirl around me like floodwaters all day long. They've engulfed me completely. You've taken away my companions and my loved ones, and darkness is my closest friend. What an uplifting way to end. Darkness is my closest friend. We have great appreciation to you, God, that in inspired Scripture you have let somebody lay out before you and all of humanity the depth of pain that they were experiencing. There is no cheerful moment, no bright turn. He ends the way he started, just sad, separated, alone, confused. Thank you for including these words in Scripture. We live here. We live here. We find ourselves wanting to slap a happy thought on it or, or claim a, a bright verse and all will be well. We live here. We're grateful, grateful that you let us talk this way to you. In Jesus' name, amen. This past week, I took a walk on the canal path. I like to go that way to pray, and we're talking about prayer this week, so it was a good week to go out and pray. First time I went out and walked, um, I forgot that the path is a little different than the rest of the world because it's tree-covered and everything. The ice and snow tends to linger there a little bit longer. And so as I'm walking along on the path, it was pretty icy. The, the snowmobiles have packed it down, and there's been melting and unmelting and all that sort of thing. So I'm, I'm walking along trying to pray. And my normal, my normal walk was expanded by five minutes per mile. It was crazy. So then I thought, okay, I'm not doing this again. The next day, I brought along with me a tool that I got a couple years ago because I'd walk on the path and I'd have these kind of slip slide moments. One day I was actually coming up off the path onto the road and all of a sudden, boom, I'm right there in the middle of the road on my back and backside. And, uh, you know, this is a corner in which cars come around 40 miles an hour. I'm like, we can't be doing this. This is not good. So, so I got these wonderful spikes that attach to my shoes. It's kind of got a, a big rubber band around it and these monster teeth. These monster teeth, I'm telling you what, I can walk, I can walk up the side of the wall. They're amazing. They're just amazing. I, I feel so secure when these things are on. I can go anywhere, do it. Even if it is slick ice, it doesn't matter. Boom, 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 boom. I'm good to go. And I was, I was grateful I had these on. So I'm walking along and I got about a quarter mile in. I know where a quarter mile is because there's this sign that I know that's a quarter mile. <laughs> got about a quarter mile in and I'm like, ah, my ankle doesn't feel quite right. But I kept going, you know, I'm walking along. And as I walked a little bit more, I'm like, ooh, this is not good. About a half mile in, I realized, yeah, something's rubbing on the back of my ankle and this is going to end in a pretty bad place. I got about a mile in and I'm like, okay, no doubt, I have a full-fledged blister forming on the back of my ankle. And now I got to walk back a mile. And about a mile and a half back, I said, well, thank God the blister's gone. Now it's just raw skin. Now I've just rubbed the skin down and I'm kind of walking. And even though I got the spikes, now I'm like, oh, here we go, walking back to my car. I get back in, I take the shoes off, and I'm like, thank goodness I don't have to wear any shoes until later today. Put those shoes on, and oh my word, I wanted to scream. Uh, just a simple polling question. Who likes pain? Anybody really into pain? I mean, you just, you're a pain lover. Pain's the best. Woo! I love pain. Nobody likes pain. <coughs> Everybody wants to be rid of pain. 
Modern Americans in particular, Americans 2022, we are pain averse in any form, any form. We want no pain. We want no physical pain. We want no mental pain. We want no relational pain. Anything that is pain is bad. We want to do everything we can to avoid pain, to, to, uh, to paralyze pain, to make it go away. We'll do legal things. We'll do illegal things. Whatever we've got to do, we want to erase pain. Here's the thing. Is there a possibility that God actually has a purpose for pain in your life? Is it possible that God may actually want to do something through that pain to grow to you, to be more like his son? And the whole time you're doing everything you can to push away the pain, to numb the pain, to keep the pain far, far away. It's the way we live. We don't like pain. This coming week, we're answering the question, where is God in the midst of our suffering? And I, I, I suspect this is the way this week might go. When you start to try to answer that question, you start thinking about painful moments in your life. The worst moments, moments of loss, moments of betrayal, moments of physical pain. You start thinking about the worst moments of your life. And as you really dwell on the worst moments of your life, it paralyzes you. You're just, you are, you're Psalm 88. You are stuck in your pain. And I want to encourage you to take a little different approach this week, just a little different approach, that rather than simply reminiscing on all the pain you've been through in your life and kind of going over it one more time, and you're going to be asked to reflect on some times that, that you've felt hopeless, some times that you've, that you've had trouble. But rather than simply reflecting on that, would you, would you go up to about 30,000 feet would you back off enough that you're not bogged down in the moment of pain, but you're able to start to look at pain maybe from a little bit more theological or theoretical perspective? To look at the topic of pain rather than simply reminiscing on all the pains you've been through in life. When I was a kid, I worked at a camp during the summer. And uh, it was a ranch. We had a marshal. We had a sheriff. We had bandits. We had horses. We had a rodeo. We had a big donkey thing that they put the bandit on, splash him in a lake. It was a lot of fun. And I got to be a bandit my third year at the camp. And so here I am. I'm on top of a bookstore, bookstore roof. Here's the plan. Kids are in the dining hall. We're on the backside of the bookstore roof. And when the kids came out, we were supposed to pop up on the roof. And we were supposed to start yelling bandit stuff and boom, 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 shooting in the air. And, and, the, and, the, and the sheriff and the marshal, they were going to take us out. And we were going to roll down the roof onto the ground. And then they were going to take us away to jail. And they'd dunk us the next day at the rodeo. So um, I don't like height. This is a little high for me. I wish we did this about halfway, you know, I, middle of the mall. I throw up. I just, that, that, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, so here I am on top of this roof. How am I going to manage this? Ain't no way I'm rolling down the roof. It's not going to happen. I just am not going to do it. So I come toddling down the roof. I come to the edge. I sit down. I grab the gutter. And I, and I, I kind of, I kind of twisting jump off. And as I do, my foot clips the porch and break here, break here like a piece of chalk twisting snap. I lay down on the ground, immediate searing pain. One of the leaders walks up, like, hey, dude, let's walk it off. I get up, accordion, I'm like, that's not gonna, I lay back down, lay back down. Now, let's just imagine for a moment. 
that, um, let's just imagine for a moment that that day was particularly busy at the camp. And the leader of the camp said, hey, Dennis, here's what we got to do. Don't have a lot of time to be able to take you to the hospital, get this thing fixed up. But we have a, we have a manual on how to fix legs. And uh, it's three-ring binder. It's got all the pictures. Even got a little video. Uh, you, you go and watch that. You read that. And then we, got, we had a kid over here with gauze and with plaster of Paris. Um, you, you know, it's got a, a passage on how to, how to put on a cast, how to do that. Uh, it's possible. We don't know yet. You have a boot on. You might have a compound fracture. You'll have to cut your boot off. Take a peek. If the bone's sticking out, we got some screws in there, a screwdriver. Um, go ahead and get that all together. We even, we even got something for you to bite on in there. So all, everything you could need in order to fix your leg. You know, sheer foolishness, right? This is what we try to do with our own pain. We try to fix our own pain, and we wonder why in the world we're having so much problem. We wonder why in the world we're having so much trouble. But what we can do, if we spend some time thinking about pain, we can help other people as they go through their pain, and we can even have a greater understanding of our own pain as we walk through it. So as you're coming through this week, don't spend all the time just focusing on your greatest hurt, but step back enough to see how pain and suffering work within the context of where is God. Try to get a bigger picture. That's what C.S. Lewis did. C.S. Lewis, theologian and author uh, from the last century in 1940, writes a book called The Problem of Pain. And he admits, this is a theological treatise on pain. He says, Augustine said it, Aquinas said it, the others said it. I'm just saying it again in a modern way. This is the problem of pain. Several years later, he's married. He's married later in life. His wife lives for a very short time and she dies. And he writes a second book called A Grief Observed. And he said, in the first book, I wrote the theology of pain. And the second, if I could say it this way, I wrote Psalm 88. And the second, I just cried. I just cried in my sadness. And he acknowledges, I needed to work through the theology of it all, the understanding of it all, to have firm footing when I was going through the pain of it all. So I'm hopeful that we can step back from our instances of pain enough to see the bigger picture of pain and suffering in life. What is the problem of pain? Here's the classic statement on it. It's from Lewis's book. He says, if God were good, and we believe he's good, in about 25 minutes we're going to sing, good, good father. We believe he's good. If he were good, he would wish to make his creatures perfectly happy. If you're a good parent, your children will never have a problem. Everything will just be perfectly fine right? And if God were mighty, if he had all the power in the world, he'd be able to do what he wished. So it's one thing to be good. There are a lot of good people who are really weak, right? But if you're good and you're powerful, you can make this happen. He would would be able to do what he wished. But the creatures are not happy. Looked around the world, the creatures are not happy. Therefore, God either lacks goodness or power or both. He says this is the classic statement of the problem of pain in its simplest form. It goes something like this. We believe God is good. We, it says it in Scripture. We sing the words. We believe in the goodness of God. And we also believe that God is powerful. The theological term is omnipotent, omnipotent. He has all the power to do whatever he wants. Nothing stands in his way. So he's good and powerful at the same time. In his goodness and in his power, pain and suffering should not exist. 
If God is completely good and if God is ultimate power, pain and suffering should not exist. But, you look, turn on the news this morning, looked at Ukraine, pain and suffering exist everywhere. So what do humans start to conclude? Maybe God is powerful, but he's not good. There are a lot of powerful people in the world. Politicians, media, business, you name it. A lot of powerful people in our world right now who are not good, and they use their power for selfish purposes. Maybe God's got all the power, but, he, but he's not good by nature. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe God is incredibly good. This is what he wishes, but he's too weak to fulfill it. Or, because pain and suffering exist, maybe he's neither good nor powerful. This is the statement, the classic statement of the problem of pain, and one that has been being dealt with since the very first written book of the Bible. The first written book of the Bible is not Genesis. That's where the stories begin. The first written book of the Bible is the book of Job. What's the theme of Job? Why am I in so much pain? And how can you be good if I'm in so much pain? From the beginning, we've been asking the question, how in the world can you be powerful? How in the world can you be good and I be in so much pain at the same time? So we're going we're gonna to look at this question. Where is God in the midst of our suffering? Through a series of questions. And the qu first question I want to pose to you is simply this. Are there degrees of pain? Is all pain equal or is some pain lesser than others? Well, honestly, logically, my blister is not the same as the bombing of a city. The two are very different. There's a difference between a splinter and the Holocaust. We recognize that. Pain happens in varying degrees. Given the fact that pain happens in varying degrees, let me ask a second question. Is all pain evil? Was that blister evil? Was that, was that, was that, a, was that a Satan inspired blister on my heel? Is all pain evil? And we look at some pain is clearly evil. Some pain is hideously satanic. But is all pain evil? Well, I want to take you to the third question then. When did pain begin? When did it start? If we're looking at the Bible, we might think, well, well, pain began in Genesis 3. People sin, and in their sin, pain starts. But here's the thing. I look at the first two chapters of Genesis, and I see some pain. There's some pain there. Genesis chapter 2, verse, or it should say 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. You ever been alone? Alone is not good, and alone can be painful, very, very painful. But is it possible for alone to be painful and not evil? Is it possible to experience a pain that hurts, but it's not evil at its core? Is there a difference between the evil pain of suffering and just the pain that we experience as human beings? When did pain begin? I don't think pain began in Genesis 3. I, I think pain began the second God said, let there be light. The second creation began and human beings were brought into the world. Pain began. Why do I say that? In the very broadest sense, okay, I'm, I'm oversimplifying. There are two kinds of laws in the world. There are physical laws and there are spiritual laws. There are physical laws that exist based on a human body, human being on earth, and there are spiritual laws. For example, 
When God said, let there be light, when he brought the world together, from the beginning of time, prior to the fall, gravity existed. If Adam had been standing on the edge of the platform and jumped off the platform incorrectly, he'd he'd have fallen. He might have even fallen and hurt something along the way. Adam's walking through the garden and he steps on a rock. And the rock hurts. Well, rocks didn't hurt before the fall. Really? Yeah, rocks were soft before the fall. Or, or God, would, God would quick throw a little velvet pillow on your foot before the fall so you didn't, so you didn't feel the rock. Maybe, maybe rocks existed, but not sharp rocks. Maybe God sharpened the rocks after the fall. Physical laws existed in relationship to the human body and in relationship to the world that had nothing to do with good and evil. It just was. There are plenty of pains we go through in this world that are simply the pain of existence, and they're not based in evil. Clearly, other spiritual laws have a basis in the pain of evil and heartache. Genesis chapter 2, we saw that. It's not good for man to be alone. And then, and then he goes on to talk about the planting of a garden, planting of trees, And in the planting of trees, he says, you can eat from any tree you want except one. The day you eat of it, you will surely die. This is a different kind of pain. This is a different kind of pain that had been been in place in Genesis chapter 1, in Genesis chapter 2. He promises this spiritual law. Eat the fruit, you will die. He promises a spiritual law in Hebrews chapter 12. He says, if you sin and I love you, I'm going to discipline you to wake you up. I'm going to allow some pain to come into your life to wake you up to your sin. It's a spiritual law. There's a spiritual law that he announced in Genesis chapter 3. He says to the woman, because you chose to eat the fruit, your pain will increase in pregnancy. Notice that. It's increase. It didn't say you will start having pain. It said there will be an increase in pain. He says to Adam, not that now that you've sinned, you have to go to work. Work was part of the program from the start. He says, because you sinned, you're going to hate Mondays. Because you've sinned, it's going to, there are going to be thorns and thistles, and the ground is not going to yield fruit the way it used to. It's going to be tougher. There were spiritual laws in place that were far different than the physical laws. When did pain begin? The physical laws were from the beginning of creation, but the spiritual laws and the pain that comes from breaking those spiritual laws began in Genesis chapter 3. So here's the thing. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 are amazing. Outside of Adam being alone and then God creates Eve, everything's amazing. It, it ends by saying they were, they, were, uh, they were naked and they felt no shame. Perfect state. And then comes chapter 3 and we have the sa- Satan appear and we ask the question, why in the world did God allow pain? Why in the world did God create the tree? Why in the world did God put the tree in the middle of the garden and say don't? Why did He knew what we were going to do. He knew we'd be too tempted. He knew we'd go after it. Why did he do it? Why didn't he just take away the option altogether and leave us happily in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2? He plants this tree in the middle of the garden and he says, you may eat freely. I think there's something to be said about that word freely. That God said, your freedom to choose right and wrong your freedom to choose good and evil, your freedom to choose to love me or to hate me is of greater value to me 
than keeping away the possibility that you might sin and therefore suffer. He wanted a relationship with human beings. He didn't want robots. He wanted people that just mummy their way through the day. He wanted a relationship with human beings. And relationship is based on, I want to be with you or I don't want to be with you. He gave us the freedom to choose. That was a high value to him, higher than saying, I never, ever, ever want a person to experience any form of pain. Genesis chapter 1, further it says, we were made in the image of God. God is a volitional being. He has the ability to choose, and he takes that, he stamps it on us, and he says, and you have the ability to choose as well. So he gives us this opportunity to choose, and unfortunately as human beings, we choose poorly. So now that the pain exists, we might ask the question, is pain a gift or a curse? And I think most of us are inclined to say, curse, number one answer. There are times that pain's a gift. There are times that pain is truly a gift. I love this book. It was given to me years ago now. I was, went through some tough stuff in teenager. I came into college, and this professor, I'm meeting, talking to him, and he recommended a book by Philip Yancey that was fairly fresh at that point called Where is God When It Hurts? And in this book, Yancey talks about a doctor who worked with lepers. Now, I have a Sunday school image of leprosy. Your skin would get white, your arm would fall off. You'd be walking along, all of a sudden there'd be a bunch of toes laying behind you. Body parts would just fall off. It's not an accurate understanding of leprosy at all. Leprosy is um, your skin loses all sensitivity. It goes completely numb. And so Dr. Brand tells stories of watching a person literally reach into the fire, grab a hot coal, crackling skin, doesn't feel a thing, and doesn't realize their hand is burning. Tells a story of a person who came in and they were blind, and the reason they were blind is because the nerve endings in their eyes stopped telling them that their eyes hurt when they didn't blink. It's kind of, you know, some of you are going to do this now. You're going to try to keep your eyes open for two minutes. You know how that hurts. It hurts like crazy when we leave our eyes open too long. If my body is not telling me my eyes hurt, my eyes don't say you need to blink to water your eyes. And the guy's eyes dried out in their sockets because the pain was gone that was telling him it's time to blink and, and lubricate your eyes. I, I, the pain of guilt, the pain of guilt is a good thing. The pain of guilt tells us we've done something wrong and we need to correct it. We need to make it right with God. We need to make it right with other people. There are pains in this life that are actually a gift and not a curse. They are a gift from God telling us something is wrong and it needs to be fixed. So we can't take all pain and just put it in the, in the curse bucket. There's some pain that actually helps us to get to a better place. And I would contend that ultimately God can use all pain to grow us to be more like himself. So how should we approach pain? It comes at us, whether it is physical pain or spiritual pain, how should we approach pain? I believe one of the things we should do is lament. What is lamenting? Lament is complaining to God. Most of us are great at complaining to everyone else. I'm off Facebook and off Twitter because I am a professional complainer. I am more than willing to complain to all of you and God says, no, you're supposed to be complaining to me, bringing our complaint to God. Look at this breakdown of the different categories of psalms. I know it's hard to see. 
But, but what you'll notice is that the top category is the Psalms of Lament. And while you can't read all the numbers, what you can tell is there are a lot more Psalms of Lament than any other Psalm. There are a lot more complaining Psalms than any other kind of Psalm. Imagine that, that in holy inspired Scripture, God said, I want you to complain. What do we say to our kids? Stop whining. Stop complaining. And God says, bring it. Whine. Complain. Lament. All kinds of laments. Out of the depths I cry to you, I am stuck. My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord? Classic lament. How long? The third one, I'm so alone. God, why are you so far off? God, why do the waves keep coming and just crashing on me? I have no relief. What does the lament look like? First, we begin by complaining to God about our pain. Psalm 13 is a six-verse psalm, and it's a classic expression of a psalm of lament. He begins by just complaining to God about his situation. Verses 3 to 4, he asks God for help because only God can do something about it. And chapter, or verses 5 to 6, he expresses confidence in God's trustworthiness. He says, my pain hurts, but I won't let the lie of my pain dictate who I know you really are. You're trustworthy, and you are good, and you are powerful. In our pain, we lament. In our pain, we learn. We learn. James chapter 1 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when trials of any kind come your way, take a pill. <laughs> Consider it an opportunity for great joy. You know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. J.B. Phillips' translation is below. When all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brothers and sisters, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Because it's an opportunity to grow in discipline and endurance. We see Hebrews again, a learning opportunity. God says, I discipline those I love. It's an opportunity to learn, to come back to him. And then the third thing we do in our pain is to linger. And I'm not saying linger in your pain, but I love this. I mentioned it in Psalm 88. The same is true in Psalm 77. Classic Psalm of Lament. He'd come to the end of a section, and there's that word, Selah, think about it. He'd say, we just need to pause here for a little while and think about this. Think about the pain, but think about God in relationship to the pain. For most of us, we want to race through every kind of pain. We want to race through emotional pain. We want to, we want to race through grief. We want, to, we want to get there as fast as we can. Think about how illogical it would have been. My, my, my leg took 12 weeks to heal, cast for 12 weeks. What if I had determined at the beginning, I'm going to heal in record time. I'm going to heal this in two weeks. Two weeks, it's going to be healed. You'd say, you're nuts. It doesn't work that way. You know what? It doesn't work that way with death either. It doesn't work that way with divorce either. It doesn't work that way with disease either. It doesn't work. We try to rush through it instead of lingering with God in that moment of pain. He keeps saying, here's my heart. Here's the issue. Stop. Interlude. Reflect. Sit here. Lament, learn, and linger. Where is God in suffering? He's right here. This is the book of Esther in Hebrew. I don't know if you know this about the book of Esther. I mean, the supernatural hand of God is all over this, this book. 
Every time you turn around, God's providence is expressed in this book. And not once is his name mentioned. Not once. Not once does any character in the book of Esther reference Jehovah or any form of God. Not once. But God was there all along. You may be thinking in your pain, all I can see and all I can feel is my pain and my suffering. God is there with us in our pain and in our suffering. He's there. Just because we don't feel it, just because we don't sense it, doesn't negate the truth of his presence. The psalm we turn to for comfort more often than any other than death, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid because you are close beside me. You're with me. In my most painful moment, you're with me. I'm never alone. I'm never alone. The problems in your life, the pain in your life, the very real pain, I'm not minimizing the pain, the very real pain in your life is the ice. And the ice will always be hard and always be cold and always cause you to slip. The spikes are the truth. You will not be able to walk through the pain properly if you're not embracing the truth. It is only when we embrace the truth that we have any possibility of walking on the ice of pain and suffering. And so this week, as we continue to learn, as we continue to unpack that question, don't simply sit and moan in the pain, but take the time to think about the bigger picture of where is God in all of this. We're going to turn to communion, and last week, you know that we spent time praying and we put prayers on the wall. Some of the squares are people that we know need some form of a trans, spiritual transformation. The, the, the rectangles are our holy desires, the things that, that we want to see God change in a mighty way. And then the papers on the front, these, these were our heart burdens. These are the things that really weigh on us personally. And, and we're going we're gonna to have these up throughout the rest of Rooted. And I want to encourage you during communion, not only to go to take communion, but to go back to your prayer and stand there, maybe with a hand on it, and pray. Pray. Just take time to pray. Uh, for some of you, what this is going to mean is we may want to stagger going to prayer, to communion a little bit. Just don't go up immediately. Take a moment. Maybe take a moment to go to the wall first and pray, and then come to communion. We have about five and a half minutes here, which is like eternity in a church service, okay? That's a very, very, very long time. So I know some of you, it's about two minutes in, you're like, oh, the music might end. I'm going to be caught standing here holding my prayer. No, you got time. Take the time to pray. And even if it turns out that where you are, you can just see your prayer. Lift that prayer to God. Let's go to communion and let's go to prayer. In the face of a brutal and ruthless thug, President Zelensky and the people of Ukraine have said, we refuse to simply bow our knee. We will stand. We will stand. We will fight for freedom and we will stand. It would have been easy for them to look at the enemy and say the enemy is bigger, stronger, meaner. Let's just surrender. Let's just give in. Maybe it won't break as many things and hurt as many people. But they refuse. They stand. Standing is a spiritual practice. It's a beautiful practice. Ephesians chapter 6, three times says, stand. 
Take your stand against the enemy. Put on the whole armor of God so that you can stand against the enemy. And then it goes on to say, stand firm in the truth. Stand. This week, as we look at this question of suffering, you could stare at the enemy and say, too big, too much, I give. Or you could choose to learn how to stand, strap on the truth and walk on the ice. I hope you choose the truth. I hope you choose to stand. I hope you choose not to let your focus be diverted on your pain and instead see the good, good Father who wants to be with you through your pain. He wants to walk you through, but you're not going to walk through if you're not willing to strap on the truth. So let's go do it. Have a great week.